0: Who is gonna be the president of South Africa in 200 years? Today, we're continuing the list that I started about the most impressive prophecies in the Bible, and we have reached number three on my countdown. I was asked to do a list of the most impressive prophecies in the Bible And this all stemmed from a question, why should we believe the Bible? So if you haven't seen that video yet, I would recommend that you go to the link just here and give that a look. And one of the things we deal with in that video is that if you're going to show somebody that the Bible is not just the word of men, but as in truth, the word of God, one of the best ways to do that is to examine the prophetical material of the Bible. The prophecy that we're looking at today starts at the end of Isaiah chapter 44 and continues on into the next chapter just little bit. And it pertains to the king of Persia. And we can read in Isaiah 44, verse 28, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. Now, when you just read through the Bible for the first time and you aren't familiar with when these books were written and who the king was when this particular prophet was performing his ministry, it may not grab you as greatly impressive. But when you know that Isaiah wrote this in approximately 720 BC, and that this man Cyrus, he had not been born yet. But 184 years later, the things that you read about in this verse came to pass. Now I asked you at the beginning, who would the president of South Africa be in 200 years? And the answer is, how could we possibly know, right? That's what we have in this verse. Isaiah, he has given us the name of the king of Persia 184 years before this man shows up and says the things that we read about in this verse. So Isaiah is telling us not only what this king's name would be, but what this king would say. Now look at the verse again carefully, saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built. But think about this, Jerusalem was still standing when Isaiah wrote this. So what you have in this is actually an indirect prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem that would take place about 140 years after Isaiah wrote this. And then you have a direct prophecy as to what this king would say to the city, which by the way, this is precisely what Cyrus said after the 70 years of captivity were over, and you can read about this at the end of Second Chronicles. If you're trying to think of this from a human standpoint, it makes no sense for Isaiah to talk about Jerusalem and the temple being rebuilt and foundations being laid again when Jerusalem and the temple are still in good condition. Now, this leads into the next chapter. In chapter 45, verse 1, it says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. When we read about Cyrus being the anointed of God, that is, God has specially chosen Cyrus to accomplish some very specific things. And there were nations subdued before Cyrus. He conquered several different places. And then it says, I will loose the loins of kings. You can actually read about this happening in Daniel chapter five with Belshazzar when he was throwing that big party and uh, there was handwriting on the wall. That was a fulfillment of what we're reading here. While that massive idolatrous party was taking place, uh, the Persian army was gathering around the outskirts of, of the city of Babylon. And the end of this verse that we just looked at was fulfilled that same night. The gates of Babylon were normally always closed. But on this particular night, the Persian army uh, gathered around, besieged the place, and started to make noise. And the king of Babylon, Belshazzar, sent people out to check on what was happening. They opened The gates, the two-leaved gates were opened and it allowed the Persians to get into the city and to eventually conquer it. So as we keep going in Isaiah 45 verse 2, it says, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. Verse number three, I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. Verse four, he says, for Jacob, my servant's sake and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. So you can see that this is actually God speaking to Cyrus. And he's saying, I'm I'm giving all these details about you, Cyrus. Your name, what you're going to say to Jerusalem, what you're going to say to the temple, how you're going to conquer Babylon, the riches that you're going to find that no one else could find, all of these things came to pass so that Israel would know that God set all this up. And he says, Cyrus, I want you to know why I'm doing this. It's not that you are an incredibly righteous or great man. I'm doing this for my people's sake. Now, what comes next in the passage is simply incredible. God is going to directly address Cyrus's religious beliefs. Now, what you need to know about Cyrus is he followed Zoroaster. And Zoroaster, he had uh, created a religion about a 100 years thereabouts before Cyrus took the kingdom of Persia. Now, there's a little bit of debate as to when exactly Zoroaster lived. Some people put him much earlier in history, but uh, most of the reliable sources I've looked at, they have him about 100 years before Cyrus comes onto the scene, which means that you have Isaiah writing this in about 720 BC. Then you have Zoroaster showing up about 100 years after that. And then another 100 years after that, you have Cyrus pitching up. And Cyrus is a proponent of the teachings of Zoroastrianism. And Zoroastrianism, without going into a lot of detail, was a dualistic religion. Zoroaster believed that there were two main deities to be dealt with. There was one responsible for the good in the world, for light, and he dwelled in the east. And then there was a god uh, that dwelled in the west. He was responsible for evil and for darkness. Watch what God says specifically about this to Cyrus. Verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Notice how the Lord addresses this issue of the east and the west. God is telling Cyrus this so that he realizes I'm the one who who allowed you to to accomplish what you've accomplished but I also know your heart I know what you believe he says in verse 7 I form the light and create darkness I make peace and create evil I the Lord do all these things Now when he talks about I make peace and create evil not moral evil but natural uh, disasters things of that nature would fall into the category of the evil we're reading about here But see Cyrus believed, according to the teachings of Zoroaster, that there were two gods, one responsible for the good and the light, and the other responsible for the, uh, for the bad or the evil and the darkness. So the Lord is directly addressing the religious beliefs of this king before this king is even born and believes anything. He's giving him the necessary information to fix his religious misconceptions. So if anybody ever asks you, why should I believe that the Bible is the word of God? You might be able to then ask them, how could Isaiah as a man have known the name of the king of a foreign nation 150 years before that king was born? How would Isaiah as a man know that Cyrus would have said these things about Jerusalem and about the temple, even though Jerusalem and the temple were in good condition? How could Isaiah as a man? known the precise details of how Cyrus was going to attack and overtake the kingdom of Babylon? And how could Isaiah as a man have possibly known what this king would believe on a spiritual level? For me, the only acceptable answer is that the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, was feeding Isaiah this information. And therefore, it stands to reason that we can trust the words of this book as not being the words of men, but the words of God.